Goodness, it's really good to be here with you. Um, if you are disappointed that I'm not Tim, that makes two of us. Uh, I love your pastor. Uh, he has become a very dear friend of mine. And um, he's lying when he says that I'm his mentor. Uh, it goes the other way around, honestly. We went from a chance. My theology is good. There are no chances. But we went from a chance meeting at a restaurant one time to a really uh, deep friendship. And sometimes those are hard to come by in ministry. And what I need you to know is not only do I love your pastor, but I love this church. I'm a crier. We'll, we'll just try to get it out of the way, okay? We'll just get that out of the way first. But no, I love this church because I love what this church stands for in this community. In fact, I would tell you that many of the things that we do just a couple miles down the road that way are actually grounded in the heart of this church. And how you guys seek to not only be a place where people can come here and experience the good news of Jesus Christ, but you don't just stay here. You, you find a way to make your way into the community and it, into the public square, and you're making a difference. And so uh, I love the heartbeat, and I love it so much that I want to mimic it uh, down the road. So even though we may have never met before, I just want to say uh, thank you for that. Before we dig in, can I just pray? Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that your church is bigger than any one location. It's bigger than any state. Uh, it's around the globe. And so I think about the people that are gathered in your name this morning across this globe to honor and to praise you and to love you because you loved us first. <laughs> so we say thank you for that. And now, Father, as we dig into your word, I pray that you're, you would let us have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. I want to talk about two subjects that I think that are very hard for most of us. And even though I don't know you, uh, you're a human and I'm a human. So I'm guessing that we have some of the same characteristics. The first one is trust. Anytime somebody says to me, come on, you can trust me, I instantly know what? That I shouldn't. Because what that means is they're getting ready to ask me to do something that I would normally not do or want to do. Somehow, those words, trust me, instantly strike fear in this poor boy's heart. I'm not very adventurous. And so when that happens, I sometimes don't know what to do. And then I think that trust leads to the second one, control. Now, good, I didn't see anybody elbowing the person next to you. You were not supposed to do that, so thank you for not doing it. But many of us feel like maybe we live with somebody who is a control. I do not. Uh, my wife is not a control freak. I'm the control freak in the family. But maybe that idea of control is really, really hard to give up as well. And even those of us who think that we control things, right, we know deep down that it's really just the what? The illusion of control. We don't actually have control but sometimes because we feel like we don't have it, we grab onto things and we make it controlling. In the sports world, maybe you've heard some newscaster say, well, at least they control their own destiny. And this is what that means in the sports world. If they just keep doing what they're supposed to do, they'll make it to the championship or they'll make it to the playoffs or they'll do something. And they would normally say, at this time of the season, all you can ever ask for is that you control your own destiny. I don't know about you, but the longer that I live, I'm 49, the longer that I live, this idea of control gets harder and harder and harder, mostly because of past traumatic experiences. 
It's the same thing with trust, right? Like maybe you've been like, well, I can, I can trust you, and then that person lets you down. Or you can say, listen, I will relinquish some control in this situation. And then somebody used that in horrible ways, in evil ways, to control you and to hurt you. And so many times we say to ourselves, man, I trusted before. I got hurt. I ain't never, we use weird language in Chester, I ain't ever doing that again. I'm never again going to let my guard down and I'm going to trust somebody or I'm going to allow them to have any semblance of control in our lives. But I want to tell you, this idea of trust and control is something that you and I have to deal with. We have to figure out and we have to be willing to pull the curtain back and allow, allow God to reveal some of those things um, in our lives. All right, it's been up and down, but if you are able and if you are willing would you stand with me as I just read a portion of God's Word? Again, it's, God's Word is good whether we stand or not, right? So it's nothing like that. But I'm just saying in honor of His Word, Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 5. I'm just going to read the first 11 verses. Here's what it says. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around Him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge... Two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him, put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master. We've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet on his knees, and he said this, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. You can grab a seat. Trust and control. I would tell you in this situation, Jesus is interacting with Simon, and Simon is not a follower of Jesus at this point. In fact, most of the time when we talk about Simon, we're like, oh, yeah, he's that guy that's got a, a big mouth, and he gets himself in trouble all the time, and he must have always been a follower of Jesus. But I think in this situation, Jesus is interacting with him before he becomes a follower of Jesus. Jesus has the audacity to look at him in the eye and go, how about you trust me? How about you give up some control? You see, this is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is healing people and people are beginning to follow him and he's doing all kinds of miraculous teachings and healings and the crowds begin to follow him. I don't know if you have watched The Chosen. Uh, it's just a, it's a TV series. It's on YouTube. There's a bunch of different places you can watch it where it just talks about the life of Jesus. And I find it very interesting. It comes from the text, but obviously there's some 
poetic license that happens when you're watching The Chosen. But I love to watch it and I love to read God's word together when I do it. And so I am not frustrated with The Chosen, but I will tell you this, they got this scene wrong. Here's what I mean by that. If you watch this scene in The Chosen, season one, I forget what episode, you will see about 12 people on the shore. So Jesus is there, he jumps in the boat, there's like 12 people on the shore and he's teaching to them. But can I tell you this, maybe they didn't have the money and the finances to get that many extras, but the scripture text tells us what? There's a great crowd of people. In fact, anywhere Jesus looks, we get the idea there's people everywhere and they're, they're crowding around and they're beginning to crowd in and Jesus needs to make some space. There's also something else about the reason why he gets in the boat. There's, there, there's no microphone. He didn't have one of these fancy things and these speakers all around. And so there's also something about getting in the boat and coming out a little bit that his voice could bounce off the water and it could go farther. Even Jesus needed a little help sometimes, right? And so his voice as he was speaking and he was teaching, it would, it would bounce off the water to these people and they continued to listen. And scripture says this, that Jesus gets Simon, one of the fishermen, cleaning their nets after a really long night. And he says, put out a little bit. This is not the first time. It's not the first time that Simon Peter interacts with Jesus. I already told you he's not a follower of Jesus at this point. He's just, he's just a fisherman. But there's, there's other times. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says that his brother Andrew grabbed his brother and said, you got to come see this guy. And so we know that Simon had actually interacted with Jesus before, and then actually in Luke 4, we learn that Simon's mother-in-law had been healed of a high fever. So not only had Simon met Jesus before, because his brother said, you got to come with me, and then his mother-in-law is actually healed from a high fever. But now we have this scene, and I'm telling you, Simon is not a believer yet. Somehow that first interaction with the person of Jesus Christ did not change him from the inside out. Somehow... Somehow Jesus healing his mother-in-law wasn't even enough. I don't know what the relationship like that was like, right? But I mean, he didn't, that wasn't even enough for Simon to put all of his trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And now we have this scene. Let me just tell you this. I, I wonder if Jesus getting in the boat had less to do with amplifying his voice, less to do with his fear of being crushed by the crowd, and more to do with meeting Simon. What if it had nothing to do with the crowds that are beginning to push in on him and nothing about the fact that he needed some of that space, but all about creating an opportunity to talk with Simon? If you have your Bible, look at verse 4, right? We read it, but verse 4 says this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I find Simon's response to him just priceless. I'm telling you. People who think the word of God is boring or they don't, I'm just like, have you read it? What does Simon Peter say? Verse 5, Master, uh, we've worked hard all night and we ain't, we ain't caught nothing. We haven't caught anything. Simon uses the word master. That word for master, right? I mean, you know this, the, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in another language, and so we have to translate it for us. And so there's sometimes some nuanced meanings in there. And this idea of master is really just a superintendent or overseer. Really what he's saying is, hey, Mr. Boss Man, uh, just so you know, 
uh, we've worked all night. I'm not 100% sure, but just by looking at you, you really don't look like a fisherman. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a fisherman. And so I know when you're supposed to fish. And we worked all night, and we are exhausted. It was a rough night. Hey, Mr. Boss Man. If somebody should be telling another person how to fish, it should be me telling you how to fish. (laughs) Not the other way around. But this becomes the turning point of the story. Verse 5. Master... We've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. And then what does he say? But because you say so, I will let down the nets. The actual words in the text are, at your word. I know how to fish. You don't know how to fish. (laughs) I've been up all night working really, really hard. Trying to provide a living, not only for myself, but for my family. This is what I do, and if I don't catch fish, we don't eat. And last night, we didn't catch anything. But at your word. Here's what I begin to wonder. Do we respond the same way when Jesus prompts us? Is our response to him... Because you say so, I will. It doesn't make sense to me. Like again, some of us, whatever it is our station in life, it's like, Jesus, you don't understand. You don't understand how they have been to me. You do not understand how they have hurt me. Jesus, you don't know that I've tried this before. You don't even know how long it's been since I have. But the response here is because you say so, I will, and I believe in this moment, Simon Peter is giving a declaration of trust and releasing control. And I begin to wonder in my own life whether far too often I want to argue with the person of Jesus Christ instead of just saying, because you say so, I will. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you say things like, well, what if? Or maybe you say things back to Jesus. Listen, Jesus, you don't understand. I've tried that before, and it doesn't really work. I know that you asked me to love my neighbor, but, like, I tried it, and they're really grouchy. Like, I think that you forgot about that neighbor when you were talking about loving your neighbor. And so, Jesus, I'm not sure that I can do it again. I'm not sure I can put myself back out there again. I'm not sure. I tried that already. And I'm tired. Can I tell you this? That the the promptings of Jesus are, are not suggestions. They're invitations. A part of me wanted to finish that by the... The, the promptings of Jesus are not suggestions, they're commands. Right? That, that's what I wanted to do. But I'm like, no, 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 I, I don't even think that's the way that, that Jesus works. I think the suggestions of Jesus are invitations to us. And the question is, will we be willing to respond with, but because you say so, I will. I will release my trust issues and my control issues, and I will do it. So my question for you and my question for me is, What is he asking you to do? 
What is he asking you to do? How does he ask us? Sometimes he asks us because we're spending time in his word and we read it and we're pouring over it and all of a sudden the, the Holy Spirit begins to say things to us as we read and it's like, well, you, hey, and then you're like, where did that come from? Ever that? No, God, like, you, can't, you can't be telling me that. That, that, doesn't, that, that. that doesn't make sense. So my question for you is, what is he asking you to do? And my guess is, whatever he's asking you to do is scary. Sorry. I wish I could say to you, hey, guess what? Jesus is always going to ask you to do things that you actually already know how to do, and it's going to be super, super easy, and it's all going to be wonderful. You just, just trust him. I mean, in the story, right? What happens in the story? They throw the nets over, and they get lots of fish. So guess what? If you just do what he tells you, you'll get lots of fish. And some of you are like, I don't like fish. Fish is a metaphor for other things. Right? You're like, well, I want the story to end up just like this one. Let me tell you, I cannot promise you that your story will end up like this one, but I can tell you that following the promptings of Jesus Christ, you're never going to go wrong, even if it costs you something, and even if it's painful. So what is he asking you to do? My guess is it's probably scary. And you know your Bible probably better than I know my Bible. And you can begin to think of story after story after story in Scripture when people did what God asked them to do. And sometimes it landed them in a fiery furnace. Sometimes it ended up in a what? A lion's den. Sometimes it ended up, Stephen, book of Acts, sometimes it ended up being stoned to death. But there was still something about listening to the promptings of God in their life and saying, because you say so, I will. And you might even be saying, listen, Scott, I have, my goodness, like, I, I don't even know, I don't even know what God's saying to me. You know, I think some of that can start with just begging him to speak to you. What does this word say? My sheep hear my voice. So maybe for you, it's been so long that you're not even sure, you're not even sure that you can hear the voice of God. Moms are crazy. I don't know how it is that a mom, like even right now, wherever the nursery is, if, if your baby started to cry, you would know it's your baby. Now, men, I hope you're better than I am. I could never tell the difference. Okay, I mean, a baby's cry is a baby's cry. But there's something about a mama that knows the cry. And I'm telling you, it's a little bit exactly like that. My sheep hear my voice. Even among the chaos of all kinds of other things. And so my question is, if you haven't heard the voice of God lately, I'm asking you, maybe you get down on your knees and you say, I want to hear your voice. And then you go to the text and you see how he's revealed himself over and over and over and over again. And you just beg for him to speak. I believe that you can trust. I believe you can trust the voice of your Savior. So the catch is massive, right? And they start to celebrate and things go really, really crazy. And you got the idea. They start jumping around like, hey, come over here. You got to see this. Come on over here. I can't, I can't catch all this fish. I don't want to lose any of them. And so they start celebrating and all this chaos starts to ensue. All because of an act of obedience. 
Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, and what is this? The fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Here's Simon Peter's response to Jesus Christ saying something, him responding. It is absolute awe and worship. He falls at his feet. Awe and worship. Remember before, he said this, uh, Master, uh, Mr. Boss guy, uh, we've been working all night. And I don't know if you know it or not, but we know how to catch fish better than you catch fish. Does he say the same thing here? No, he does not. He says, go away from me, Lord. The word Lord there is a title of ownership. Somehow, in this really short period of time, Simon Peter goes from, hey, boss man, to, oh my goodness, you're the Lord, and you own it all, and when you say fish jump, they say how high. And there's something in this moment that he does, and there's something about this ownership. It's the idea of someone who has the power of deciding something else, a person who has control, who has supreme authority. He goes from master to Lord in just a matter of minutes. We see another situation like this in Peter's life later on. If you know anything about the story of Peter, he ends up following Jesus after this, and some amazing things begin to happen. And then, and then it comes around the time when Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, and the authorities are rounding up all the people who have been spending time with Jesus. And so Simon Peter, even after all of this stuff, remember he has an argument with a little girl, right? The little girl goes, aren't you one of those people who hang out with Jesus? And he's like, no! She's like, no, I really think you're one of those ones that hang out with Jesus. The, script, the text actually indicates to us that he actually starts swearing at this girl. What does it take for a grown adult man to swear at a little girl? But that's what he does. And he goes, I don't even know. I don't even know who, I don't even know who Jesus is. And then Jesus goes to the cross. And then sometime after that, we get this story. And I just want to read it to you. John chapter 21, verses 3 to 7. This is what happens. Simon, Simon Peter says this. I'm going out to fish. Remember, the Savior that, that he had followed that day and the one that he had followed every day since then, he had had this time when he says, I don't even know that man. And now he says, I'm going to go fish. Let me just tell you this. This is different than some of us going, I just want to go play golf. You have to understand, when Simon Peter says, I'm going to go fishing, I believe what he's actually saying is, I want to go back to what I knew prior to the person of Jesus. In a sense, he's saying, Jesus is gone, it's over, I put my trust in somebody, and then I actually denied him, but he isn't coming back, and so I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. And they said, we'll go with you. So Simon starts it, hey guys, you know what, let's go fish, we'll go with you. And so they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Come on. 
I like when movies do that, right? When they show you a little bit of something and then they show it to you a little bit later. I, I'm, I wonder what it was like for Simon Peter to get back in the boat after he had been fishing for men and had given up that lifestyle. Now he goes back to fishing because this is how he's going to provide for his family. And what does he do? He goes out and he doesn't catch anything. I wonder if he's thinking, hmm, maybe I lost it. Maybe I can't do this anymore. Or did he hearken back to another time in his life when he had fished all night and he didn't catch anything? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, you catch anything? (laughs) No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and I think you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, I think it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. I don't know if it's hot. I don't know if you fish naked. But anyway, he put his clothes back on. And it says that he jumped into the water. I find it interesting that one of the first times that Simon Peter interacts interacts with the person of Jesus Christ over not catching any fish, he falls on his knees and he says, get away from me, I'm a sinful person. And now years later, Still can't catch any fish. But when somebody else says, I think it's Jesus, he jumps and he swims as fast as he can. How does that change take place? I think it's grace. (laughs) I think it's interacting with grace. And it changed Simon Peter. It reminds me of one of my favorite songs, Amazing Grace. Was grace that taught my heart to fear. Do you know that song? And grace what? My fears relieved. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And it's that exact same grace that takes away my fear. I believe in this moment, Simon Peter realizes who Jesus is on the shore. So I just want to say this to you today. Whether you are coming to Jesus or interacting with Jesus a little bit like the first time that Simon Peter does, and you have to make a decision whether you're going to trust him and give up some control, or you feel like you need to, in a sense, come back to Jesus because of some failures in your life. You never thought you were going to do that, and you did. You never thought you were going to turn your back on your Savior, but you did. You have no idea how you got into that situation. Here's what I want to say to you. We have to lean into the person of Peter who realized who Jesus was. And instead of staying in the boat or, or rowing in the opposite direction, he jumps in the water and gets as close to Jesus as fast as he possibly can. The hard part here is that Jesus ends this story in Luke chapter 5 with a very interesting thing. Here's the hard part about Jesus. (laughs) Uh, The invitations keep coming. The invitations keep coming. 
to do more, to lean in more, to trust more, to relinquish control more over and over and over again. And so look what it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. Don't be afraid. From now on, what? I have a greater calling for you than even what you could even imagine right now. And then Simon's response after seeing Jesus for who he was, and I think after seeing himself for who he was. Remember? How did Simon Peter see himself? He falls down on the ground and says, I, I am not, I'm not worthy. <laughs> I'm a sinful man. And you were, you were too much for me. I think after Simon Peter sees Jesus for who he is and sees himself for who he is, look what he does in verse 11 of chapter 5. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed Jesus. So I'll go there. What is it that you and I need to leave? Now remember, Simon's a fisherman. He needs to fish to eat. He tries to fish. He can't get fish. Then he listens to Jesus. Jesus provides the fish. Can I tell you what I normally do? When Jesus provides me something, I cling on to it like it's the most important thing. Like Jesus gave it to me. Jesus gave me the opportunity. Jesus did whatever. And in this moment, what does Simon Peter do? He leaves it all. He leaves the gift that Jesus had just given him. Why? Because Simon Peter realized that Jesus is greater than the gift. Jesus himself is greater than the gift that Jesus gives. And so Simon Peter leaves it all and follows Jesus. So again, what is it that maybe you need to leave behind? Because there's sometimes that we can talk about leaving things behind. And we instantly go, well, I got to leave that behind because that was bad. I gotta no, no, sometimes we leave good things behind because Jesus asks us to move. Sometimes that sport that we've been in our whole life and we love it and we actually feel like it, but all of a sudden there's something stirring on the inside where it's like, I don't know why, this doesn't make sense, but I'm thinking maybe Jesus is asking me. Maybe it's, I, I don't know what it is for you. I, I can't get inside your head and your heart, which is the beautiful part of the Holy Spirit, which is why the Holy Spirit can speak to each one of us individually in this moment and say, no, 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 he's talking about that, but let me, let me, tell, you what, let me tell you what I'm talking about. What if we... What if we lived a life that said, because you say so, I will. Here's the beautiful thing about the person of Jesus Christ. He not only asks us to do things, but he models it. Can you now go with me to Jesus in the garden? <laughs> in the garden, he's having a conversation with his father, right? What does he say? If there's any other way that this can happen, besides making me go to the cross, if there's any other way, can we try that? And then what does Jesus say? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. So you and I have a perfect and wonderful example. Listen, Jesus is more than our example. He is our substitute. 
But even in the fact that he is our substitute, he gives us a beautiful example of what it means to be surrendered to a holy and a righteous God. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if over and over and over again when we felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, we just said, because you say so, I'm in. I don't know how it's all going to work. I don't know if I'm going to catch a lot of fish or I'm going to catch no fish. I don't know if I'm going to have a lot of friends or I'm going to have no friends. But because you say so, I will. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to just open your word and just let, just let your word just like wash over us. Father, I thank you for examples in your word where you, you, you show us people who are kind of just like us. <laughs> like, I want to argue with you all the time. Like, God, I know, I know that you're God, but like, I don't know. And yet you, you show us what it's like when people have surrendered their trust and they surrendered their control and they just said, and then, Father, you again, you, do, you don't ask us to do things that you yourself weren't willing to do. And so the way that you modeled in the garden was beautiful. So now, Father, for just, I don't even know, 30 seconds. We as your people want to just sit before you in silence and ask you to speak to us. Father, I believe that we're ready and willing to listen. So would you speak to us now? Father, your voice gets really loud in the silence. And I say thank you for that. <laughs> Help us all just to remember that maybe there needs to be a little more silence in our life. <laughs> Where we just stop. And we listen. Father, our desire is to be a group of people that moves when you say move, that acts when you say act, that speaks when you say speak, that silent when you say be silent. We want to be so in tune with you that we follow you wherever you ask us to go. Jesus, I say thank you for your example, the one that empowers us. It's in Jesus' name. It's because of the access that we have to you, God, through his life, through his death, through his burial, and most importantly, through his resurrection that we pray. Amen.